The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Hey guys, it's uh, Thinking Sideways, the podcast. I'm uh, Devin, I guess, as always. You guess. Yeah. You guess. Uh, joined by... Jose. And... Steve, I guess. I guess, uh, or whatever. Oh, my English name, in case you're confused, is Joe. Okay. Okay. That just like Let's just clear things up right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, today, um, we're continuing on our series of Halloween mysteries, and I guess I should add the ca- caveat that um, if you don't already know about this mystery, Unsolved Mystery, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. So, it as is. we have said before, Parental if you are warning. squeamish... Or if you have young children, or really like children kind of at all, uh, maybe this is not an episode for you. And also, before we get too far, I guess, um, this is a listener suggestion from Hunter. Hey, Hunter. Thank Thanks, you. We're going we're gonna to talk about the, the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, also known as the Torso Murders. Yeah, or the, or the Cleveland Torso Murders. Or the murders. Cleveland yeah. Torso Murders. There's torso a lot murders, of yeah. different names. There's, yeah, this uh, this was really difficult to do research on because it does so go by a half dozen names. Yeah. Which is annoying. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, but it does help with the copy paste issue that we always complain about on the internet. Yeah, it's yeah, true. That. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Yeah. We're so we're going to Cleveland. Yeah. 1930s. Do we have to? Yeah. Mm. It's in the 1930s. It might be fun. The Roaring Thirties. Well, by all accounts, it's a city on the rise. Despite the effects of the Great Depression, um, many many people are doing pretty okay. And we're going to Kingsbury Run. It's a prehistoric riverbed. 
running um, from the flats. Which is the banks of the Cuyahoga banks, River, yes. the Cuyahoga River, yeah, whatever it's To pronounced. about East 90 Street. I know that that doesn't make sense to most people, but I guess that people in Cleveland, it probably will make sense mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. And uh, it's not so much a river as it is just like a gash. Yeah, kind of like Earth. Sullivan's Gulch in Portland. Yeah. If you're familiar with Portland geography. I think that people are probably not going to get not that anymore. Not going to get that No, no, no. Yeah. All, but. So go out and Google it. It's, it, it it's just a just... depression in the earth that water yeah. flows through, but it's not a riverbed. Yes. You know, but it proved very attractive to poor people back in the, during the Depression. Well, the train and um, any kind of rapid transit tracks still run through it, but trains did run through it. And train tracks, especially in the, like, right around the Great Depression time, that's that's really popular with vagabonds and sort of hobos yeah well just you know people without a home or run down on their luck because you can just hop on a box car and get someplace else so that's it's a pretty attractive and as as we were just kind of saying i guess it's the people who are not in that whole like many people doing well again group Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah there were a lot of those back in the 30s yeah they lived in really really awful conditions you know like Filth and trash and kind of shanty towns, exactly. Yeah, and most of the people that lived there were transients, and they rode boxcars mostly to escape Cleveland winters because Cleveland is not super fun in the winter. Cleveland is it's Cleveland, Ohio, Ohio. which is a very cold place in the winter. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be homeless or a transient and be there. I, okay. I would I would turn into a snowbird and head south for the winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, me too. Oh, yeah. Uh and the the area just east of the run is known well, was known as the Roaring Third. It was mostly bars, brothels, flop houses, and gambling dens, which what sort of a fun place. Life it's was kind of, kind of more fun back in those days. Yeah, yeah. well I think that that's kind of the like <laughs> transient area right like you've got like people who are really really out on their luck hobos lost everything and then you've got the area where people become really really out of their luck transient that kind of gray area Yeah, yeah it's that like filter zone that people go through so september of 1934 is kind of when this whole mystery starts Mm-hmm. A young man finds the lower half of a woman's torso, thighs still attached, but amputated at the knee, washed up on the shores of Lake Erie. That'd spoil your day, wouldn't it? Lake Erie. Yeah. yeah Sorry. A bit. Uh, and as as mentioned, it's just going to get more gruesome from here. So if that freaked you out, just stop now. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it is. It is October. It is October. So yeah. we're doing the creepy stuff. I know. The county coroner A. J. Pierce noted that there was some kind of chemical preservative on the skin that had made it turn red, tough, and leathery. And we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Are you sure that she wasn't just really into, like, sun tanning? It's possible. But in the 30s, I think it was more like, don't tan. Mm. They were back on the no tan kick. Maybe. The There was a search, and they found just a couple other body parts. It was identified as a female in her mid-30s. The head to this body was never found. The woman was never identified. She is referred to as the Lady of the Lake, and she is labeled as victim number zero. So the one thing that disturbs me through, and this this runs... <laughs> there's one? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. One overarching thing that disturbs me through all of these, and I know we're going to get into it, 
but it's the head factor. The missing yeah. heads. The missing heads mm-hmm. are the creepiest thing in the world. There's a is it Joe Pesci was in a movie that he had a, a head in a bowling ball bag or something, and I kept thinking back to that movie yeah. because it's just yeah. it's that creepy factor. Anybody mm-hmm. who knows that movie, they're gonna understand. Yeah, no, yeah. it's. Um... I mean, the whole idea of just dismembering people and chopping them up is just kind of... Just in general. It's just kind of appalling. Yeah. You know? Not uh, something I would care to do. But yeah. apparently, it's different tastes, you know. Yes, or whatever. Well, you know, hey, each hey, their own or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, you yeah. know, it, it, it might have been that the murderer had a sense of, of humor, though. She had great legs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, yeah, that didn't work. No, Please, didn't. continue on before I make a bigger So we're going to do that thing that we do sometimes where we basically just list the victims. There's 12... We're going to keep it short as possible, but there are things that differ between each of them, so please bear with us. Because there's we'll, a lot. And if not, fast forward like 15 minutes and we'll probably still be talking about this. <laughs> yeah. So just skip the next 15 no, minutes. No, we're going to talk fast here. Yeah. So John Doe, number one, was the second body to be discovered, be discovered but he was likely the first murder victim. He was discovered um, on September 23rd of 1935, and he was never identified. He, like most of the male victims, was emasculated and decapitated. Oof. His head was recovered, however, and his skin also had the chemical agent that had caused it to become red and leathery. The next one is probably, it was the first body found, but probably the second victim and he was found also September twenty third oh. of nineteen thirty five. He was found like nine meters thirty feet away from John Doe one. He had also been decapitated and emasculated, and he was identified, which is rare. Next up is Florence Genevieve. Well, wait the, the what was the name of the 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 last guy? Oh gosh, I'm sorry. It was Ed, Edward Andrasy. And Andersy, Andrasy, Andrasy. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he had a name. Or he, he was did. identified. So yes. I wanted to make sure we covered. Yes, that. yes, yes. Uh, Florence Genevieve Polilio. She was found on January 26th and February 7th. That was oh. a two-parter. <laughs> her body had been dismembered fully, uh, and her head was never found. It's not clear how they identified her. That's a good point. I mean, yeah. maybe she had tattoos or something. I don't I mean. know. Ah, I think that they they correlated some missing person reports. I don't think she had tattoos, but I think that it was a missing report, missing person report, if I remember correctly. And that's the hard part. There's so many of these people that I'm trying to, you know, rattle through the card catalog in my brain. Mm-hmm. But I think that is how they figured out who mm-hmm. she was. Yeah. yeah. So then John Doe 3 was This the, is a particularly disturbing one. He was the fifth body to be found, fourth victim. Yeah. He, July 22nd of oh. uh, 36. Mm-hmm. Dismembered while alive. Yeah, lucky guy. Ouch. I'm not sure if this uh, killer drugged his victims or not, if they were out before it, he started I don't think anybody knows anything about the victims. Yeah. Actually, I do know that. Um, are, are you going to talk about the the medical examiners that are involved in this case? 
by chance? A little. Okay, because I can't remember the name, and maybe you do, of the second examiner that came in near the end of things, Mm -hmm. but he somehow seemed to have figured out that there was some kind of chemical in their system, or at least in one of the victims, but he couldn't figure out if that was because that person was drugged or if they were a junkie for lack of a better term. And the fact that that person's arms were never found to tell if they had injection points, repetitive Uh made it hard. So we don't know if they were being drugged or not. Well, there's, and there's a lot of kind of stuff about the corners and how Thorough mm-hmm. they may have yeah. been. Or sensational the they might have been. Yeah. The science so, was not as well developed yeah. either. And and John Doe 3 is the only victim that was found on the west side of Cleveland. I guess it's minorly worth mentioning. Okay. John Doe number two was the fourth victim to be found, fifth victim to be murdered. I know it's a little wonky. It's hard with these guys. Well, this is all, well, the discovery dates are the hard part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John Doe number two, he was uh, the fourth discovered body, fifth victim. And this is this is because of the discovery dates. It's is hard. that why they're being yeah. ordered this way? Yeah, it's hard. I'm I've ordered them by murder date, but I think it's also important to mention the discovery date because okay. John Doe mm. number two was discovered before John Doe number three, though John Doe number three was murdered before John Doe number two. Yeah, does that make sense? They're numbered by discovery. Date. Mm-hmm. Now, John and now, Doe... ladies and gentlemen, we will make a Rube Goldberg yeah. machine. Oh, it's yeah. just confusing. No. Yeah. It so, is, um, but it, it doesn't really matter too much. But yeah. He was decapitated while alive as <sighs> well, and his head was recovered. He also was had some interesting little bits about him. He was estimated to be in his mid-20s and had six unusual tattoos on his body. One included the names Helen and Paul. And the other had initials WCG, and his undershorts bore a laundry mark that had his initials, right? Like, in, in that time, you would write your initials or your name in your laundry, so that mm-hmm. like, if you were all going in on one bulk laundry order Right, or you could sort whatever. it back out. Yeah, absolutely. And the initials were JD. And since they found his head, they did what's called the death mask, which I think we've talked about a little bit before. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we've covered that. Where they that. cast the face and they recreate what it might have looked like alive and they publicize photos of that. Apparently and those, despite, things are, those things are still laying around somewhere yeah, in Cleveland too. Yeah, so despite the fact that they circulated the death mask and on his unusual tattoos, this, this John Doe was clearly, since he's a John Doe, was still never identified. Well, maybe JD stood for John Doe. Maybe it stood for John Dillinger. Oh, there you go. Could have been a lot of things. But they call so, him the Tattooed Man, because he's, he's one of the few that has identifying yeah. marks. So, uh, but it, uh, since he was wearing his, he was wearing his shorts, presumably he was not emasculated. Presumably, any, yeah, yeah. I don't see anything here about I don't, that. I've, I haven't read anything that says he was. Okay, so the next victim is Jane Doe number six, who was the sixth murder victim. She was the eighth discovery, but... Um, they didn't, I, they couldn't, they didn't identify the bodies of the previous women mm-hmm. f- for the most part until later. So there are a couple that were Jane Doe's while the investigation was ongoing. There were likely other Jane Doe's happening. The Jane Doe's get a little out of order. Actually, they get a lot out of order. There are going to be some more Jane Doe's that are weirdly numbered and, and it's, later. It's again, this is based on not date of 
it's the the confusion it's, is date of murder versus date of discovery. Yeah, and the Jane Doe's are different than the John Doe's. Oh. oh, okay. And part of that has to do with the fact that a couple of the Jane Doe's were in fact identified. Why can't we just use the Dewey Decimal System? Yeah, really, right? right? Give them a number. So this one actually is very interesting. Uh, she was the only black victim. Uh, she was decapitated, but she was also missing a rib. Yeah, um, that's a little bit of a And blood, her yeah. head was discovered, and they thought perhaps that they had identified her as a woman named Rose Wallace. Dental work, uh, you know, the, like the tooth records, which is what dental work means, was a pretty close match. Uh, the, the police said that her son pos- was very positive that that was his mom. He identified her. That's sad. But uh, did they actually show him the head? I'm trying to think of what that would be like. To I suspect look at mom's severed head. Yeah, Ugh. I suspect they did a death mask. Well, hopefully they did. You know, yeah. but well, but she'd been dead for a long she'd time. Been she'd been dead, dead for a year, for a year right? when they found her, and the dentist who carried out her dental work, to, who could like look at it and be like, "Yes, that's my handiwork," and she was my patient, died years before. So the police never officially identified her as Rose Wallace, despite... So that's that why there's no official... Of stuff. And, and additionally, her body had been estimated to be have been dead for a year, but Rose Wallace had only been uh, reported missing for 10 months. Uh, that's that's not a big problem It's a weird... Me. Well, it's just I like... Mean, you know, a year, come on, that, that's a rounding thing, you know? It's like 10 months. Oh, oh maybe, absolutely. You know? and yeah, so and especially like, in like this climate with all this totally, stuff happening, who it knows? It totally could have been her... So, uh, it's likely that that Jane Doe was, in fact, Rose Wallace, but... We don't know for sure. Yeah. Next is John Doe 4. Another John Doe. He was the seventh murder victim, sixth body to be found, uh, and only half of his torso was found. Nothing below the hips. No head. No head. Yeah. So he did not have great legs. He, I, maybe he had such great legs that the murderer had to keep them. Maybe. Yeah, he almost... It's um, a trophy. Yeah. Yeah, you almost wonder if he, he took some of these parts back to wherever and reassembled them into this sort of... Frankenstein. Yeah, Frankenstein kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Maybe some sort of weird... Stop. No, 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 stop. Because stop, stop, stop. That, that's, that's yeah. a really disturbing Frankenstein yeah. trophy wall thing. Yeah. We're moving forward. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it is Halloween. Hey. Jane Doe, number five. Still grosses me out. Yeah, it is a little gross, yeah. Eighth victim, seventh body to be found, was found in the same spot that the Lady of the Lake was found. And this is like a year after the Lady of the Lake? Two, two years. years. Two, two years, years later. later? Yeah, about, and her head was never found. <laughs> John Doe, number seven, kind of typical body found, no head, so they couldn't identify him. He was... Ninth murder victim and, and also the ninth found. And they pulled him out of the river. Pulled him out of the river. Now, that's one of the things uh, we haven't really talked about is, and I think maybe is, is a little important for people to know. Some of these bodies are found in fields. Some are found on the banks of the river. Some, because they're found on the banks of the river, they find some of the other body parts because they're dredging them out of the river. But it's really inconsistent as to where they're showing up. I mean, it's kind of willy nilly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But actually, all you know, on the east if, side. If you're a, if, but if you're the killer, you don't want to be like you don't want 
want to be totally consistent because that's a, a way to catch you. Well, it worked you for know. Dexter. Yeah, that's a good point. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's a next TV one star. is John Doe 10, who was found at the same time as Jane Doe 9. Uh, he was the 10th victim, 12th found. Jane Doe 9 was the 11th victim, 11th found. Uh, he was a decapitated body. His head was found in a can close by. Uh, she was a decapitated female body. Her head was also found. Yeah, now let's see. He was, so he was... They were, I'm sorry, and they were found in the lakeshore dump. <laughs> I found the dump, there. okay. And, and, it's, and they, it's believed they weren't actually murdered at the same time, though. I, I think, again, this goes back oh, to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Places that things, that, where they're found, is it like the murder or the... Whoever the perpetrator is mm-hmm. dumps two bodies in one place, but there's months apart between the killings. Yeah, so John Doe 10 was estimated to have died seven to nine months prior to his discovery, and Jane Doe 9 was four to six months. So within the span of a couple months, this person dumped two decapitated bodies. At the same spot. At the same spot. But, you know, and, since since it hadn't hit the news that uh, the John Doe X or John Doe 10 mm-hmm. had been found, then he probably realized that was a safe place to go back to. Because, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And the thing is, it's not as if the bodies were laid on top of each other. I mean, it's, it was a dump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Walked into a dump. I know that some of these, it was, it was as... Uh, I mean, they go to extents of roll them into a rug and then roll that into a quilt and then throw them in the dump. I mean, it wasn't like these bodies were just cast out and blatantly naked human being parts and pieces laying around for a lot of times. Some of them are rolled up and hidden in things like the can that you talked about that the head was in. Mm-hmm. So these, th- th- whoever is doing this, and I want to say guy just because the violent nature of it, mm-hmm. but the person that's doing this is attempting to disguise what they're doing uh-huh. and yeah. and hiding the remains. Yeah. You know, whether it be a poor job of rolling it in the rug or tossing it in the river, they're still trying to, to hide them. It's not as if they're just laying on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. So... Uh, and by the way, at the, at the dump, did they, did they like go through all the piles of trash out there and see if there were any more bodies? I have no idea. I, I would be- assume... I the, believe that's how they found searches, the second victim. Oh, okay. You the, would think that they would. The yeah. searches were very extensive after every single one of the findings. Mm, I imagine they poured a lot of resources into this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the last victim, last canonical victim is what they, they're calling them. Uh, she's the 12th victim. The 10th body to be discovered, Jane Doe 8. She was found in April of 1938. And on that day, only the lower leg, one lower leg, so like her thigh, or no, no I'm sorry, her, yeah, her. her uh, calf yeah. uh, was found. And a month later, a human thigh was discovered floating in the river west of a bridge in Cleveland. Police officers, of course, decided, oh, well, we better search. Uh, and they found a burlap sack containing a headless torso cut in half, another thigh, and a left foot, all belonging to the same body. And the head and the rest of the body were uh, never found. But this is the victim that Steve was talking about a little bit with the um, the second coroner who's kind of involved in this case. He found drugs in her system. And again, there's not a whole mess of information about that. But we don't, that. yeah, we don't really we know. We don't totally know. And this guy, uh, we will probably talk about a little bit later, mm-hmm. was 
like really in, there was a lot of crime happening in Cleveland at the time and he was like getting pretty famous on like testifying and these like really high yeah, profile press cases conferences and, and yeah. so how much he just sensationalized it and said oh yeah no yeah there were drugs in her system how do they, or uh, how much of it was true it's it's hard to tell so when they um um when you find a body that's been dismembered there's obviously not going to be any blood left it's all going to run out how do you test for drugs in a dismembered body i think body? it depends on how, when they were dismembered this is so gross it doesn't, I mean, I think that blood kind of thickens and settles, and if it's not a fresh body. Um, well, no, I, I, the, way I, the way I understand it and mm. I would think about it is, okay, well, blood is the circulatory system that pushes the drug through your body. Mm-hmm. But your body, the tissues in locations has to absorb that drug. Mm-hmm. So it's absorbed into the tissue of, let's say, your liver or your brain or, you know, whatever organ it might be. So if the blood is all gone, the the remnants or the traces of that should still be in the organs because they've absorbed whatever chemical that is or whatever drug that is, regardless of the presence of blood. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like oh, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's but... like ink and water on paper. I've got ink, and I mix water with it, and I drip it on paper. The ink of or the water evaporates, but I've still got remnants of ink on that piece of paper mm-hmm. because the ink has been absorbed by the paper, though the yeah. water is no longer present. But I mean, I, I think that um, it really seems likely to me that the killer probably drugged all of his victims. Because as a way to, because otherwise overpowering somebody and decapitating, especially a man while still alive, well, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Well, and, and not everything lasts in the system. That's that's one of the things, well, yeah, I, things... I questioned about mm. this. The drugs in the system uh-huh. is a lot of things don't last. They break down. Yeah, they do. Like, Regardless and... of being alive or not, yeah. the compounds Stuff just break down. down. And also, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that all, these these were unidentified people because however horrible this sounds by and large people didn't care about them mm-hmm. you yeah. know i mean like if you've got we're alone in the world yeah if you've got a family who really cares about you they're going to be really litigious and like really search out anybody that might be you yeah kind of like dorothy me. arnold's family right you know? but, I mean, but if you're like exactly. a prostitute or a homeless guy nobody yeah. cares yeah. i mean or maybe one person does but they don't they don't know how to like really explore that or for whatever reason i don't think that we can really with any kind of certainty say these people weren't doing drugs like that just on their own like voluntarily putting those drugs in their body well and and you know the 30s were a weird time for drugs i'm not well and what i was gonna say is i'm not casting any negative on any of the victims right right right. but if you're in what equates to a skid row situation and you're turning to alcohol and drugs to make the days go by and to make them easier, you're going to do whatever alleviates your pain. So Mm -hmm. it's quite likely that all of these people were doing drugs of some sort, whether it was what was administered to them by our killer 
or if they just went down and and they found this new drug that's called heroin because heroin had just come out and I'm going to try this heroin thing and wow, I really feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fun stuff out here. I've never tried it myself, so I can't really, <laughs> really say. I, I don't know that it's really actually fun yeah. stuff based on the stories that we've heard. So. I, hear, I hear it's fun to start out with, but after that, it kind of goes downhill. But. So there, there are a number of... Oh, yeah. Outliers or, like, maybe other victims. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love this connection. Yeah. there yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, so on July 1st of 1936, a headless, unidentified male was found in a boxcar in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Then three headless victims were found in boxcars near McKees Rock, Pennsylvania, um, in May of 1940. They all kind of... Were, had similar injuries as those that were attributed to the Cleveland killer or the Kingsbury Run killer, murderer. Lots of dismembered bodies were found in the swamps near Newcastle, Pennsylvania between the years of 1921 and 1934. And then again between 1939 and 1942. Now that's interesting. Yep. That's very interesting. And then in September of 1940, an article in the Newcastle News refers to um, this killer as the murder swamp killer, which is the worst name I've ever heard. Yeah, not very creative. And credits him with, uh, I think it was uh, 17 murders in Newcastle over the years. Wow. The and the victims were like what was inflicted on them was almost identical to what was going on in Cleveland's Kingsbury Run, which conveniently were connected directly by a Baltimore and Ohio railroad line, which as you will remember, runs right through Kingsbury Run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But apparently the Cleveland detective Peter Merlo went and I think it's Peter Murillo. What did I Murillo? Say? Yeah, Murillo, Murillo sounds Murillo? right. Yeah, he said Murillo. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, He's he, not a wine. He was pretty sure that the Newcastle murders were, in fact, the work of the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Mm-hmm. But these were just headless corpses, right? I, you know, it's hard. I couldn't find a whole lot of information. Some of them, I think, were headless corpses. I think a lot of them were otherwise dismembered as well. Mm-hmm. The the railroad in question here ran twice a day, every day, between the two cities. Um, and, in fact, how did we just say the side that we're saying that name? Murillo. Murillo. Yeah. Uh, rode that train undercover, like, all the time to try and identify the killer, and he never never could. Mm. And Maybe he was then, a killer. Yes. It's, it's possible, actually. <laughs> um, Anything for all is. we know... And then in uh, July of 1950, the body of a 41-year-old man named Robert Robertson was found um, in a business in Cleveland. And police said that he had been dead for like six to eight weeks, but he had been intentionally decapitated. And apparently he seemed to kind of fit the profile of the other victims. He was estranged from his family. He had an arrest record. He had a drinking problem. He was kind of on the fringes of society. And the police decided to not link it to the, the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Well, after murders. that much time. It was 20 years um, of, or a, 10 of years. essential. Well, it was 20 years. Yeah, I guess 10 years, 12. 12 years. 12 years. 
long enough they don't want to dredge up More that old case that they couldn't figure out. Right. Yeah. And get the egg back on their face. Exactly. Yeah, and of so, course, yeah, not not everybody who gets their head chopped off is necessarily related to this thing. I mean, it does happen. Right, it's but... It's even happening today. But I think that it is odd that, and, and worth note, I guess, since I did note it, that in Baltimore, just, you know, a boxcar hop away, a bunch of people around that time were also showing up decapitated or otherwise dismembered. So, suspects... This is where we get even more frustrated, right? Like, not only can we not identify most of these bodies and, like, we don't have a whole lot of information, but also there's, like, two suspects. This is what this is the part of the story um, yeah. that infuriates yeah, me. Yeah, I know. Apparently they had, like, a lot of suspects. They hold a lot of people in for questioning. Yeah, well, there's only uh, two, like, viable. But, yeah. yeah. They, they probably beat the crap out of a hell of a lot of people trying to get a confession yeah. out of them. But, uh, yeah, All right. let's just say that police interrogative techniques at the time... We're not We're a little more forceful. We're not yeah. in line uh, with the Geneva Convention. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the first one is X or Frank Doltzal. How would you say Dol- that? I would say Dolezal. Dolezal? Dolezal. So in um, January of 1939, the Cleveland Press got a letter from a man who claimed to be the killer and identified himself as X. He said that he was in California and that he had been killing people uh, for medical experiences, experiments, experiments, not experiences. And he actually referred to the bodies as, quote, laboratory guinea pigs, unquote. And there were apparently no clues, but somehow the police, I don't totally know how it's super unclear, but somehow the police linked this to Frank, Dol- Frank, whatever his last name is. Dolezal. Yeah. Um, and he was a 52-year-old Slavic in- immigrant. So on August 24th of 1939, Frank was arrested as a suspect in Florence's murder. You remember she was like victim number like three? Three, yeah. Yeah. And uh, sorry, he had been already. He was in jail. Um, and he died under really suspicious circumstances. Yeah, he hung himself. It's not, no, no, this is not suspicious in my mind, but explain this. How did he die? Or what are the conditions of his death? Yeah, so after his death, it was discovered that he had suffered six broken ribs, injuries that his friends say he definitely didn't have when he was arrested by the sheriff six weeks prior. Yeah. Uh, and also he hung himself. Uh, okay, How, do, do you have the details about him and the hanging? I gotta be honest with you, I just skimmed right over that because I okay. didn't want to even think about how Here's awful the thing. that was. Evidently, Frank was five foot nine. Yeah. And he was in a cell that had a seal that from floor to ceiling was five foot seven inches. And he hung it? himself. And he hung himself. No, I thought I thought the ceiling was higher than that, but the the nail or Maybe the peg he was, that he okay, hung himself. He was on. five seven, and the ce- and the, the the room was five nine. You're right. I got it backwards. Mm-hmm. But it's a two inch span, which is really really hard to hang yourself from. Well, he didn't hang himself from the ceiling, though. I mean, the ceiling. What I understood is that the the nail or whatever it is that he hung himself on protruded from the wall, and that was five foot seven inches from the floor. And he, and, was five he was, nine. and that he was five nine. Okay, it's still possible to hang yourself from that because but let's, let's forget that, five foot nine. That's extremely difficult. Well, no, no. Five, I mean, you bend five, your leg, someone bends their legs and they are suspended. But this, this mm. is a very suspicious hanging. Yeah, well, number, is what I'm getting at. Number one, people have actually hung themselves in similar circumstances. But also remember that five foot nine is the distance from the floor to the top of his head, not mm-hmm. to his neck. 
Right. Not to his neck. So he actually had a few inches of play there to hang himself on that peg or whatever he hung himself on. He could have done it. Yeah, but People that's... People were determined to kill it. I don't... I mean, I, I'm suspicious, too. I, okay, thank you. I mean, that, I, that's what I'm getting at, is it's yeah. a very suspicious yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. hanging. Yeah, oh, yeah. and, you know... Uh, suicide. A suspicious suicide. That's where I'm headed. What kind I, of... Plays into this too is the fact that he apparently confessed to killing her in self defense. Well, after six broken ribs, wouldn't you? Yeah. And then a week before his hanging, recanted and said, no, actually, Mm -hmm. I didn't. And in fact, said that he had been beaten into submission to confessing by the police. Uh, Yeah. And then he killed himself, apparently, after he said, oh, no, the police made me coerced me. Um, mm. Yeah, so... Uh, That's a little suspicious to me. It's super suspicious. Yeah, it doesn't seem In to like that, the um... not him not being guilty way, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to somebody who has a lot of suspicious stuff in the opposite way. Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. Sweeney? Not related to Sweeney Todd. Oh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, it could sounds be. like he might be, actually. Might be the inspiration for the play. Yeah. Except that he's, like, way too late. Yeah, well, there's that, yeah. So he worked uh, during World War One in a medical unit that conducted amputations in the field. He was later personally interviewed by Elliot Ness. Yeah, G-Man. Who is a bit of a character in himself. He um, oversaw the official investigation of the killings in his capacity as Cleveland's safety director, which safety director at that point was like leader of prohibition. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not actually like any real police stuff. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly how involved Ness it's was. It's really with this hard to say. It um, is what is known is that Ness got really obsessed with this investigation. Well, and he, at he like some wrote point. at length he, he about cuts, it, and he cut some grief for the fact that it went on for so long without being yeah. solved. Yeah, so you it's know. it's a bit of a mystery in terms of his actual involvement. I will say that Elliot Ness did go on to become Al Capone's literal nemesis because this is real life and mm-hmm. this is a real story. And that really happened. It yeah. actually happened. But the, the thing about Ness and his involvement is depending on the iteration that you read, some of them say that Ness was involved at the ground roots level all the time. And some say, oh, no, he didn't have anything to do with it except press releases and yelling at other cops to figure it out. Let's be fair yeah. here. Like, this is this comes almost straight from Wikipedia, right? So you read through the torso murders slash Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, and they're like, oh, and then Elliot Ness and Elliot Ness. And you're like, okay, fine, I'll click on the Elliot Ness link and like see what's going on. They don't mention these murders at all no. in his Wikipedia. Nowhere article. in there is his involvement ever mentioned. They like it's a footnote that he worked in Cleveland for a couple years yeah. in his Well, life. that's not what he's really known for. It's and, not. And, and also, you know, the thing about Wikipedia is people can go in and edit it. Sure. And descendants, members of his family might decide that this wasn't his finest hour and they just go in there whenever somebody posts something about this stuff, they go in and they chop it out. Yeah, and yeah. let's I mean, I think Wikipedia is a little more sophisticated at this point than that it's not like anybody can just go in and like add things it has to be vetted and all that stuff but mm-hmm. but my... in fairness it's a little bit of a mystery in terms of what he actually was involved in and yeah. I, i've got i gotta tell you that personally from what i can gather i get the impression that ness was consulted a little bit on this case 
and basically was you ever watch the cop show and the cop supervisor comes in and yells at a bunch of people to figure it out and get off their butts and blah 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 mm. i get the feeling that was his involvement like yeah. he was not involved he was hey bill and joe and bob and and danny figure this out and stop messing around because i'm catching grief from my boss to mm. not have this figured out and that yeah. was it it's the manure flow chart right and i think you know again part of it is he he now is kind of seen as somebody who was involved a lot because he did write this book and he did talk about it mm-hmm. but i think that if you worked in any capacity on an unsolved mystery of this kind of magnitude you would probably carry some lifelong stuff about it yeah, probably the um, possibly anyway but but, uh, and he might but have anyway. the exposure to it so so anyway anyway but 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 it is a, one point about ness and francis sweeney is that and i know you're going to mention the postcards in Ness's favor, I will say that Francis Sweeney seemed to actually consider Ness very important to the investigation uh, because mm. he was he committed himself in uh, I believe nineteen. We're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. But in the seventies, Elliot Ness's grand or excuse me, her daughter-in-law donated his papers to the Western Reserve Historical Society, mm-hmm. wherever they are, mm-hmm. and they found a whole collection of bizarre postcards that were sent to Ness in the nineteen fifties mm-hmm. by Doctor Sweeney. Yeah. And uh, and they were mostly incoherent, but they were they were signed on one card F E Sweeney paranoidal nemesis. Yeah. So apparently he considered Ness to be an important character in this whole drama. Yeah, I think he did. So we'll backtrack a little bit from where Joe just went. Um, Sweeney was brought in for investigation for interrogation. And apparently there like uh, polygraph tests existed at this time. Yep. And he failed to pass two early polygraph tests. They were both administered by an expert at the time named Leonard Keeler, who essentially apparently told Ness, this is the dude who did it. Like, this is the guy who killed all these people. However, yeah. uh, he had connections. Francis Sweeney was the first cousin of one of Ness's uh, foremost political opponents and congressman, Martin L. Sweeney, who had actually been hounding Ness publicly for not having caught the killer yet really yeah Yeah. you're kidding i okay i i caught the relation between the two but i didn't know he was all over ness's case yeah so it's this bit of a like honestly i know i talk about this a lot but it's a bit of this like true detective situation (laughs) where like no spoiler alert like the congressman is coming in and he's like why haven't you caught the killer yet when he's like knowing hey i'm not done with the season don't don't screw this up for me you're going to screw this out for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, not done, I'm not done with the season either. Well, you so. Yeah, well, Plug what about ears. what about all our listeners out there? Plug ears. I said spoilers. But Anyways, right. it's okay. very similar. I'm okay. sorry. Okay, fine. Whatever. I okay, won't okay, ruin okay. it for you guys. Just would you hurry up. It's like a year old out this point. I know, I know, I know, I know. Just I'm falling up. behind. I apologize. Anyways, also of like a suspicious kind of vein, the killings um, stopped for all intents and purposes. 
mm-hmm. after Francis Sweeney voluntarily committed himself to a mental institution yeah, and where maybe, the postcards, the aforementioned postcards were sent from. Yeah, and, and it might be that uh, perhaps he committed himself because he realized that he was on the, the path to perdition and he might, might need to get himself locked up mm. so he couldn't do this anymore. Well, the but, last... And that's, but the, the other thing about it is, is that Ness obviously felt like he had to have an, an airtight case against Sweeney, and he never did. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, I, you know, in those days, I mean, a lot of people got sent away or sent to the gallows on as much evidence or less than they had against Sweeney. Right. But he, so, had, but he had some powerful patronage on his side. He did, yeah. He had yeah. Some, some heavy hitters in his, mm-hmm. his side of the yeah. ring. And... Uh, it's fair to say that the murders, at least the ones that are like strongly attributed to the butcher, the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run, ended in 1938, which is exactly when he went away. He committed himself, mm-hmm. and he harassed Ness from the institution that he committed himself to. Yeah, he died in a veterans hospital eventually in 1964, I think. So it was I, in Daytona. I'm I'm not I'm not defending Sweeney because mm-hmm. I think Sweeney was kind of an odd character. Sure. The things that I've read about him, he was not straight in the head, but then again, he spent he was in the war. So that will yeah. do things to a guy. Possibly, yeah. But and... One of the things that we haven't talked about is that these bodies, when they were caught up and dismembered, there's disputing accounts that say that either A, it was done by somebody who had surgical knowledge or someone who had been a butcher at one point and understood physiology and then there's also the counterpoint that people say, oh, no, it was just mad slashing that happened to cut these bodies You're in pieces. You're jumping a little bit ahead. Am I, I? Yeah, and there's just, like, one more thing that I know Joe wants to talk about in terms of I didn't of realize Sweeney. we're jumping ahead. Sorry that's kind about of, that. like, evidence towards Sweeney, and then we will absolutely okay, address I, that whole yeah. Sorry about that. situation. I, yeah, so, Joe, I know that you had some stuff about Sweeney, that there was an incident that you were talking about where some Somebody maybe survived the Mad Butcher or Sweeney or it's something? Possible. It's possible. It's possible that this happened. Can you just, so, just real quick? Yeah. So this is this guy who is a vagrant, a uh, guy that came to in the trains, just like a lot of people. His name was Emil Fronick. That's E-M-I-L. Uh, so Fronick, in November 1934, he was homeless and a vagrant, and he was hungry, and he was walking up Broadway Avenue in Cleveland. And apparently he... Uh, found himself, and the, the details are scarce here, found himself in the second floor of a doctor's office, and the doctor offered to feed him because he was starving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he started eating the food, and then he started, you know, since he was starting to feel woozy, so he started to, to suspect that he'd been drugged, so he beat feet, ran down the steps, got out of there, went down to the rail yard. Good use Gray of Run. 1930s terms, by the way. Yeah, now. Got him, fell, went into a boxcar and fell asleep and woke up three days later. And Wow. Yeah. And so, anyway, this guy decided to leave Cleveland. He decided that was bad mojo. So he went yeah. to Chicago, got a job as a longshoreman. Mm-hmm. In August 1938, his story got back to Cleveland. And the, the same detective we talked about previously, Peter Murillo, mm-hmm. uh, went to Chicago to bring him back. So Murillo and another policeman drove Fronick up Broadway to try to find, see if he could place the, the place that mm-hmm, he had gone to mm-hmm. and where this doctor's office was. 
When they got to the area in between East 50th and East 55th Street, he said, it's here somewhere. So he remembered that spot. So they got out of the car and they walked up and down the street. But he couldn't find he couldn't find the spot that he. I would been imagine to. it would be hard. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't find it. It's been a few years. It's mm-hmm. been four years actually, and and Ness interviewed him also. Elliot Ness interviewed him, but uh, they decided it didn't have anything to do with the butcher. Mm. But here's an interesting factoid. This is this information is actually, uh, I got a lot of this from a guy. Not personally from him, but there's a guy named James Bedell um, who's written three books about the butcher. Yeah. And. And this appears, he, and there was an interview in the July 2000, 2014 issue of Cleveland Magazine where he talks about this guy a little bit. So um, he, he said that he gives talks on this stuff every now and again on The Butcher. Hmm. And at one of these talks, a guy came up to him after his torso talk and showed him a photograph of six doctors, one of whom was Dr. Sweeney. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other six, one of them was this guy's great uncle whose name was... Edward Paterka. And the, the six doctors at one point had a medical practice together on Broadway in Cleveland. And uh, I've got a map right here, actually. Let me show you. So uh, it was at the corner of Broadway and Pershing Avenue, mm-hmm. which is, let me show you the map, right here. Mm-hmm. All right. So Broadway, it's at, it's at Broadway and Pershing Avenue. Now, and, and you can see two... To the right, 55th Avenue. Oh. To the left, 49th Avenue. Uh-huh. That's where the office was. So uh, the guy that showed him the picture of the six doctors also sent, sent him a picture of the old office. And the mm-hmm. old office was a, a two-story, used to be a house. It, was, it had been converted. The ground floor had been converted into medical offices. Sure. And then a deli had been built onto the front of it. Which kind of blocked the kind of blocked out the office a little bit, mm-hmm. and so it's quite possible that this guy was walking down Broadway, and that he saw the side of the deli and didn't even see the front of the building at all. You know what I'm saying? So if he had approached it from one side, sees deli, thinks, "Hey, there's garbage cans in the back. There might be sure. some discarded food back there." Yeah. He went back there. Back behind the deli is where the stairway to the second floor of the house, which was still a residence, was, and where the doctor was probably staying at the time because he was mm-hmm. actually at this time estranged from his wife because of his alcoholism and his erratic behavior. So that adds a little bit of credibility to the possibility that, number one, he was drugging, his, and that's one way to deal with it, is sure. just to drug people, and then you can do whatever right. you want with them. Yeah. Another interesting point is that there was a funeral home right next to this office, mm. which apparently he had access to, mm-hmm. and in the basement they had you know, the, the, you know, the whole thing, the metal tables sure, sure, sure. with the drains and everything yeah. for dealing with the blood and all that stuff. Interesting. That stuff, so. I mean, I guess Sinister, I think, but, I think uh, it's interesting. Possible. You know, adds to the story, but maybe doesn't. It anything. doesn't. Well, nobody. And then, like this, this guy James Bedell, who I said has written three books about mm-hmm. it, has spent more time combined, you know, like a thousand times more than all of us put together, oh, I'm sure. investigating yeah. this. And he says he's not. He says he's pretty sure it's a doctor, but he can't mm-hmm. say for a hundred percent. Nobody you can't. can. Yeah. And it might it might be solved someday if if someday somebody stumbles across a doctor's diary or something like that. You know, perhaps it'll be solved. But maybe probably not. So. I want to just quickly touch on what Steve was talking about, and it's this theory. I guess it was like in the the mid '90s that this theory kind of surfaced. Yeah, and it was that perhaps it was just like a there's no such thing as a single butcher of Kingsbury Run, 
that it was a, a lot of people. There yeah. were a lot of crazy people there at the time. And well, that, like, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time and that, you know, it wouldn't be so hard for, like, stories to start surfacing of, like, oh, this person got dismembered and somebody to, like, who's crazy be like, oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, or somebody, like, you know, if, if you really, if you want to murder somebody... And that's a great time to do it. Because the problem with trying to commit murder is there's usually a finger pointing right back at you. You've usually got a big, solid motive. But this way it's like, hey, people are getting murdered left and right. I can go take care of this guy. It's a copycat situation. It's not not just copycat, but you're using it as a a cover for your own activities. It's shield, yeah. Yeah. And the reason that this comes up is because autopsy results were um, inconclusive on a lot of these murders. Yeah. Well, the bodies, um, let's the, not forget, first, were a year old when they found them. Well, the yeah, time. That's, yeah, that's a big <laughs> issue right yeah. there. Right. And the original coroner, Arthur Pierce, he may have been a little inconsistent in his results as far as Steve was kind of implying yeah. earlier, not saying like, well, these were precise cuts and these were hacksaw marks. Yeah. You know, he was just, he just said, well, I don't know, their arms were cut off. Well, after, uh-huh. you know, after and again, that, you know, it's hard because like a, after a year, like, can you really tell? Well, animals, animals have been chewing on the corpse. Bugs have been Possibly. chewing on the corpse. In this I mean, day and age, I could say, yes, yes, we could probably figure that out. Mm-hmm. But at that time in the 1930s, I don't think nobody had gone into forensics yeah. into that detail right. to ever be able to say, this is what tissue looks like a year later after a sharp knife mm-hmm. and this is tissue a year later after a saw yeah. blade no mm-hmm. i think after yeah. a year you say the arms were cut off yeah, exactly. yeah. Or, or the arms fell there's off. no <laughs> head there's no arm yeah. i don't know they, yeah. no arms. they got chewed off um and the second factor in this is that his successor who was um samuel gerber we kind of talked about him yeah a little we've bit. we've a little uh, bit of a publicity uh, him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so he he gained a lot of popularity around the like Sam Shepard murder trial. He kind of had a reputation for sensationalized theories. He was not he was not a super reputable source. Which he was a, kind of the golden boy. Yeah, which is weird for to say about a corner. <laughs> you know, so him saying, "Oh, there were drugs in her system." For the last Jane Doe, like, who knows if he was just, like, trying to continue to sensationalize this story or what. Um, but that is all we know. What? Why, why are you making that face, Steve? Like, what? I just said that's all. I mean, that's everything, right? I so, think he's about to confess. I no, feel like. No. Yeah. No, no. The, the, okay. So there's there's one thing that we haven't really talked about. And that is on at least the first three victims. Sure, yeah. There was, and you mentioned it briefly, something about the chemical that they thought had been put onto no, the bodies. Oh, I said that their skin was red and leathery. I didn't say there were chemicals okay. in them. Their skin was red and leathery, and according to some of the autopsy reports, they thought that some kind of chemical had been put onto them. <sighs> We're going there? We're going there. Entirely okay. possible. Okay, and I'm going to keep this brief, because I know that this is just kind of a bit of a footnote on the story, mm. but I was trying to figure out, I spent some time trying to figure out what the deal is as to what would do that. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and trying to find what chemicals were in use at the time. And that's, that is just, as we say, a rabbit hole. Absolutely. It was very hard to go down and it, it really didn't yield any results, but I came back to, I stepped back to more of a simple idea, which is what, what, what do we know that's obvious that when you're hiding or getting rid of bodies, 
would you put on them? And that's kind of an alkali solution. Or Acid. Al- no, alkali. Because alkali supposedly makes them decompose a lot faster. Yeah. Oh. Alkali, it, it breaks them down fast. Obviously, but... I'm not going to be great at getting rid of bodies. No. <laughs> but alkali... You know, there's actually a book on how to get rid of bodies. Yeah, there is, unfortunately. Uh... Yeah. It, and believe it or not, of all places, what I'm about to go through, part of it I got from the CDC's website. <laughs> okay. They have this, this, this little link that you click on. It says how to get rid of dead bodies. <laughs> on the CDC.gov? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, no. I'll check it there, out. There is, there, there's three things that can happen to skin when it comes into contact with a chemical. There is what is called defatting. No. Which no, it literally means just taking the fatty oils off the top of your skin. Oh, good. Okay. There's irritants, which irritate the skin, which make a rash. Mm-hmm. And then rash. there's caustic things that would make you have boils or, you know, sores or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are the three levels. Okay. Well, alkali if you get a small dose, it's an irritant. So mm-hmm. if you think of somebody who's ever worked with concrete, sure. their hands are dry and crusty and yeah. kind of tough. And then as they do it more, they get worse and they get kind of rash-like. So that's the only thing that I can think of is that, well, alkali is something, as we said before, somebody would use to help break down a body fast. So if they throw it on the body and there's a big concentration of it, why immediately just before or just immediately after death, it would be absorbed by the skin, which would create that kind of red, weird, Mm. leathery texture situation. Now, Mm. it doesn't help us figure anything out, but a lot of the accountings go to that. And there was a chemical poured on the body. We don't Uh know how much. We don't know how big of an area. Mm. But it seems, you know, when I say dispose of body and chemical that's kind of the direction that my mind went. And I think it's it's, it's kind of, you know, I mean, Joe, you and I were talking and Joe said, well, it could be that where the body was dumped, we're talking the thirties. We're not exactly ecologically friendly. Absolutely. That's true. And let's be fair. I think that two of the bodies that were found with that kind of skin thing were found in very similar places. Mm-hmm. So it may just be that like the water there were, there was... were puddles of radioactive sludge. Well, it's right. You know what it was yeah. somewhere that there yeah. was just crap sitting and they fell into it and it was absorbed just through osmosis. Yeah. I mean osmosis happens on all materials whether yeah. alive or dead and that just had that reaction. So it could have been as simple as that mm. or it could be as nefarious as where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I know when I get rid of a body, I usually dump some smackalai on okay. it. But I mean, I, yep. No, we're yeah. done. Yeah. So, uh, that's, I mean, that's all we know about this whole thing. You know, we've got these two like fairly solid theories about who might have done this. Which bothers me because there's only two of them. Yeah. Two seems too easy. I agree. But, and uh, I, but I just, I, I do you have the, a favorite? I mean, I have a favorite. Your favorite. I mean, the doctor, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think the, the signs are too easy for me. Yeah? The doctor. Okay. I didn't know what Joe brought up. Mm-hmm. I will admit the stuff that you brought up, Joe, that you found in your research, I hadn't seen. Mm. So that kind of corroborates a lot of stuff about the doctor. But again, the way that the police went about their investigations, and we've just got these two main subjects. What if who happens to have accidentally killed himself in while being held? Air quotes included. Yes. Air yeah. quotes. Thank you. Um, it just seems a little too easy. And I, I'm not sold, especially if we go with the swamp murders 
And there was the what was the other location? Newcastle. In Newcastle. And, yeah, no, I mean that that's true though. I mean that, that you're having that whole thing going on up there, but yeah. So Sweeney Sweeney wasn't a traveling doctor. No, so no, no, Sweeney. A lot of those happened after he was committed. Way to. before. Way well, there were befores yeah. and afters. Yeah. So okay, well that to me washes him out as a candidate. Sure, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I just like him. No. Yeah, I think I, you just like the name. No, because yeah. you like the play. Maybe. Yeah. So I, I guess um, if you were interested in more links to this story, um, you can of course check them out as always on our website. ThinkingSidewaysPodcast.com. You may be listening to us there. You are probably listening to us on iTunes. Uh, if you are, feel free to leave us a comment and a rating. We love those things. Yeah. It's how other people find us. It's how we, you know, continue to gain listenership, which is and great. And we just keep getting awesome reviews yeah. on yeah. iTunes, which is fantastic. Nice. We love them. Love but wait, um, do we have a Facebook page? Yeah, we do. We have a Facebook page page and a facebook group which you should like and join um respectively if you forget to download the show or you don't have time to download the show you can always stream it on stitcher and you can always send us an email particularly you know like if you are the mad butcher or you know who he is or you're a victim of mad butcher god i hope none of those things please i'm so sorry uh the email kind of address hard to type when you got no arms yeah so. i don't know yeah. the email address is as always thinking sideways podcast at gmail.com and I think with that, we're done with this weird, creepy thing. Until next week, that is. It is October. It's <laughs> true. You know, I really regret that we're doing these creepy stories this month. But yeah. okay. Sorry, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Toodaloo. And uh, remember, keep your head. Yeah. Or. About you. Yeah. Oh.